So just know that that's coming. Um, we're in Job 3. Um, if you have a Bible, you can start turning there. We're actually starting in chapter 2, verse 11. But um, the title, I just thought I'd address this before we get too um, deep. Uh, it's called Good Grief, and it's not because of Charlie Brown. So just get that out of the way. Um, it's, uh, it's entitled Good Grief for a couple of reasons. One, because, well, good, good grief, Job's gone through a lot. So if you've missed our first couple weeks, this guy named Job was a godly man and lost all of his wealth, his health, his ten kids, yet he didn't curse God. He praised God instead. And last week, Steve Bensma walked us through chapter 2, 1 through 10, and his message was nothing short of masterful. So if you want to go back and listen to that, if you missed it, or maybe you want to just want to listen to it again, it'd be well worth listening to again. But I also named it Good Grief, not just because Job's been through a lot, but also because there is a good way to grieve, and there is a bad way to grieve. And not just when you have a Job-like, catastrophic, traumatic event in your life. See, we need to grieve well over small things too. See, the whole like rub some dirt on it dismissal of loss in our lives will cripple you over time if you just keep doing that with everything that you lose. We lose things all the time. When we get sick and we have to cancel plans that we had for months or, or when a good friend moves away or maybe even betrays you or when you suddenly have to step in and help your aging parents See, any loss or change that you didn't expect, big or small, affects you way more than you think. And we have to acknowledge it as grief and loss. And so I've intentionally found just three single words so you can easily remember when you're in the the fog and the haze of grief and loss to remember, okay, how can I grieve well? How can I grieve in a good, godly way? And so the first one is this, connects. Good grief connects, and bad grief isolates. So let me show you this in the scripture. Um, Job 2, 11 through 13. Job 2, 11. Now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all this adversity that had happened to him, each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. And they wept aloud, and each man tore his robe and threw dust in the air and on his head. Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights. But no one spoke a word to him, because they saw that his suffering was very intense. So let's start with what Job's friends didn't do when they heard about Job's suffering in verse 11. They didn't ignore it. They didn't go, oh man. My friend Job, he's suffering. That's too bad. And then move on with life. They also didn't send a messenger to ask how they could help. Obviously, they didn't have phones or anything back then. But they they didn't send a messenger there and go, hey, how could we help? No. What did Job's friends do when they heard about his suffering? They went to Job themselves. They met him where he was at. And their whole goal, we see in the text here, was to sympathize and to comfort him. So what didn't Job's friends do once they were with him? Well, verses 12 and 13, it's striking. They didn't say a word. 
They didn't speak, at least for now, and they should have left it that way because we're going to see next week that they end up saying some pretty hurtful and dumb things. But for now, for, for seven days, they're just sitting with him. They wept with him. They tore their robes, which is identifying with heartbreak, just like your heart feels like it's being torn in two, and that's how Job felt. Remember, he lost his 10 kids. His wife is telling him to curse God. His heart is just torn in two, so he tears his robes, and now his friends do it too to identify with him in his pain, and they, he, they throw dust in the air, identifying with death and loss, and they just sat with him and didn't say a word for seven days and nights, it says. So good grief connects. So when you're grieving, let people be with you. Yes, people sometimes say unhelpful things when we're going through suffering and hard times, but the alternative is being alone, and that isn't good for anyone. You don't need near as much space as you feel you do when you're grieving. Now certainly there's a time and place for being alone to process things, but don't stay there long. That can be the devil's playground. When others are grieving, go be with them. Just be present with them. Resist the urge to speak too quickly. See, the question shouldn't be in your mind when you're going to grieve with someone. Maybe someone's in the hospital or you're going to their house. You're, the question is, shouldn't be in your mind, oh, what scripture should I share with them? Oh, what what piece of advice should I give them? No, it should be, how can, I, how can I get to a spot where I put myself in their shoes and feel their pain and just weep with them? It's not what will I say when I get there. It's how will I sympathize with them once I get there. So good grief connects. Bad grief isolates. Job could have told his friends to get out of there. right? They could have shown up and be like, no. Go away. But he doesn't. He knew that bad grief stays isolated. See, the only thing worse than going through suffering is going through suffering alone. I've noticed that Christians tend not to show up to church or to Bible studies or connection groups or to be with other believers when life gets hard. And, and I'll hear this from them later, and I've heard this over and over again. I, well, I, I didn't have it together, so I didn't want to bring other people down with me. That line of thinking is from the pit of hell. Because here's the deal. Church, a church family, God's people is the very place we need to be when we are suffering. It's, de it's designed to help us walk through that. So if we just only show up when we're doing fine, when we're doing well, we're not letting the body of Christ be the body of Christ. It's, it's a reminder of, of the tangible presence of God right there with us in pain. So I want you to discuss this at your question. When did you, or sorry, at your question, at your table. Uh, when did you or someone else you know isolate instead of connect when life got hard and how did, how did that turn out? Discuss. Okay, I'm going to keep us moving here. So good grief connects. 
and bad grief isolates. Next, we're going to see that good grief is honest and bad grief pretends. So Job 3, 1 to 10. After this, Job began to speak and curse the day he was born. He said, may the day I was born perish and the night that said a boy is conceived. If only that day had turned to darkness. May God above not care about it or light shine on it. May darkness and gloom reclaim it and a cloud settle over it. May what darkens the day terrify it. If only darkness had taken that night away. May it not appear among the days of the year or be listed in the calendar. Yes, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout be heard in it. Let those who curse days condemn it. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars grow dark. May it wait for daylight but have none. May it not see the breaking of dawn. For that night did not shut the doors of my mother's womb and hide sorrow from my eyes. So it's interesting, in chapters 1 and 2, it's, it's prose, it's a narrative, it's a story, here's what happened to him. And then chapter 3, it switches to poetry until the end of the book. So that's interesting because now it's more like a psalm, if you're, if you're familiar with the psalms. And so here, much like a lot of the psalms, Job is very honest about his true feelings, even his dark, dark feelings. I mean, he's saying here, I wish I was never born. Job was not suicidal here, but he's pretty darn close to it. Christopher Ashe's commentary on Job says this. Job 3 is a very important chapter for contemporary Christianity. There's a version of Christianity around that is shallow, trite, superficial, happy-clappy. It's a kind of Christianity that, as has been said, would have, would have had Jesus singing a chorus at the grave of Lazarus. We have all met it. Easy triumphalism. We sing of God in one song that in his presence our problems disappear, and in another that my love just keeps on growing. Neither was true for Job in chapter 3. And yet, he was a real and blameless believer. See, Job was brutally honest, yet he was found blameless by God at the end of the book of Job. There's a real place for honesty with God. There's a real place for depressed, anxious, dark honesty with God. You, hear me well, you can genuinely love Jesus and genuinely struggle with depression. You can genuinely love Jesus and genuinely struggle with anxiety. If that's you now, you're not crazy. If that's you now, you're not wrong for feeling that way. I appreciate uh, Chris Renzma and his honesty. He's written a bunch of songs, well worth looking up, but he has a, a song that's, that's fascinating called God and Prozac. And I just wanted to read the, the opening line. He said, the better part of my 20s, I spent writing songs about God on a Prozac prescription. Doesn't that seem odd? 
Because I believe in a gospel and a God who is good, but these chemicals don't always work like they should. See, that's, that's the type of honesty we get out of Job. I think we need more Christian songwriters like Chris Renzma, honestly. So if this isn't you if, you, if you aren't in a dark place right now, what will you do when someone who is, when a Job shows up to your house or to your connection group or to your Bible study? See, there's a real place for brutal honesty. Let's be a place where people feel safe sharing. Let's be a place where we respond with compassion instead of quick solutions and answers. Let's be a place where if Job showed up and is borderline suicidal, we don't sit there and doubt their salvation. Be honest. Be honest with yourself, be honest with others, and be honest with God. See, Job is actually talking to himself here in Job 3, but he knows that his friends are listening in, and he certainly knows that God is listening in as well. And so we too must be honest with all three of those people, ourselves, others, and God. Pretending it's just fine with any of those will be detrimental to you. Because bad grief pretends. If you pretend with yourself that you're just fine when you're not, at some point you'll crack. At some point, reality will catch up with you and it won't be pretty. If you pretend with others that you're just fine when you're not, it'll show itself eventually. You'll probably blow up at somebody. If you pretend with God that you're fine when you're not, you'll slowly start to lose touch with him because you're being fake. Pastor Don LeClaire, who was my pastor while I was a youth pastor, said it like this, be honest with God or live with a fake soul. Be honest with God or live with a fake soul. So at your tables, I want you to discuss this. Who do you have the hardest time being honest with when you're struggling? So... Good good grief connects, good grief is honest, and last, good grief wrestles, and bad grief runs. So Job 3, verse 11. Why was I not stillborn? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me, and why were there breasts for me to nurse? Now I would certainly be lying down in peace. I would be asleep. Then I would be at rest. But the kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruined cities for themselves or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver or why was I not hidden like a miscarried child like infants who never see daylight there the wicked cease to make trouble and there the weary find rest the captives are completely at rest they do not hear a taskmaster's voice both small and great are there and the slave is set free from his master why is light given to one burdened with grief and life to those whose existence is bitter, who wait for death, but it does not come and search for it more than for hidden treasure who are filled with much joy and are glad when they reach the grave? Why is life given to a man whose path is hidden, whom God has hedged in? I sigh when food is put before me and my groans pour out like water. 
For the thing I feared has overtaken me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I cannot relax or be calm. I have no rest, for turmoil has come. So good grief wrestles, we see here, and bad grief runs. So Job questions God. We see him questioning over and over in this section, especially verses 11 to 23. But he doesn't curse God. And you might be thinking, what's the difference between questioning God and cursing God? Well, gotquestions.org, which is, it sounds like a site where you're like, should I trust stuff on it? Which actually is a very credible site. Um, gotquestions.org says, in short, an, ant- uh, an honest question is not wrong or sinful. But cross-examination from a bitter, untrusting, or rebellious heart is the fruit of unbelief. God is not intimidated, shocked, or displeased by our heartfelt questions. He understands our weaknesses and fears and invites us to seek transparent fellowship with him. So if I was going to put it like this, I'd say it's like a heart posture. So if if your hands are opening, going, God, what are you doing right now? What are you doing? Versus, God, what are you doing right now? You see the difference? Like, one is just honest questions. Like, God, what are you wrestling with what's going on with with him? Versus a high-handed, shaking your fist at, pointing, accusatory posture. In verse 23 here, it says, Why is life given to a man whose path is hidden? whom God has hedged in. Now that phrase, hedged in, ironically, is what Satan said about Job in chapter 1, verse 10. That Job was prosperous because God had hedged him in, had protected him. Now here, Job is noting that in his suffering, he's hedged in, but it's like he's trapped in his suffering and can't get out, but God has hedged him in. So I just want to point out this, that even in Job's questioning and wrestling, he still recognizes that God is sovereignly in control. But he questions God. And then in verse 24 to 26, he talks about how restless he is. So if if verses 1 to 23 are Job in his depression, verses 24 through 26 are Job in anxiety. He can't relax. He can't be calm. But notice, Job's not just in his head with his anxious thoughts. He's wrestling with it with himself, with others, and with God here. And as dark and as hard as this is for Job, he's, not, he's wrestling. He's not running. He's dealing with his fears and questions and struggles. See, bad grief runs. It runs away from God and runs to other things, and that's where addictions are born. Food, drugs, sex, alcohol, relationships, work, you name it. Show me a person with an addiction to something, and I'll show you a person who's trying to run away from God, whether they realize it or not. And because addiction isn't God, whatever you run to to try to fill that void it actually just creates more destruction in your life. But if we're all honest, we're, we're, all, we're all experts at developing coping mechanisms when we're struggling. 
And I'm not talking about healthy ways of wrestling. I'm talking about destructive things that we turn to for a quick hit. So when you have a stressful day, what do you do reflexively? What do you turn to without even thinking about it? Is it overeating? Is it oversleeping? Overdrinking? Binging Netflix? What is it? See, a couple years ago, I noticed that when I was stressed, I would often become more cranky and grumpy, especially at home. I would start to overeat. I would, more than usual, binge football. Okay, I just noticed these are the types of things I run to when I am feeling stressed. And so now I'm trying to adjust that. And, and it's still my tendency, if I'm honest, to, to just get cranky and overeat and binge football and all that. But I try instead to wrestle with myself, with others, and with God. So wrestling with myself, and, and I was just sharing in our group, that kind of unlocks it all for me. When I just recognize to myself, oh yeah, I'm stressed and I'm feeling stressed, so I'm going to be tempted to be really cranky and grumpy with other people. And then I can turn to God and go, God, I'm feeling this way. I really need your help. And then I can turn to others and, and text them or call a friend and say, hey, I really need your prayer. I need some help here. And that's helped me a lot. And I still get stressed, and I still struggle like anyone. But now, more and more, like Job, I wrestle in healthy ways instead of running away. So good grief wrestles, bad grief runs. But I want to end by talking about the darkest day. See, Job 3 was easily one of the darkest days recorded in Scripture. But it wasn't the darkest day. So if you can put up Matthew 27, 45 to 46. Yep. From noon until 3 in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is Jesus on the cross. Jesus himself is questioning and wrestling on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And Pastor C.J. Mahaney put it like this, Job felt abandoned by God, but he was not abandoned. We sometimes feel abandoned by God, but we are not abandoned. Get this, Jesus was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. Darkness does not have the last word in the book of Job. And darkness does not have the last word for those who turn from their sin and trust in the atoning work of Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. Jesus was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. So even though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because he is with you. He is with you. Jesus is with you, even in the dark. Jesus is with you, even in depression. Jesus is with you, even in anxiety. Jesus was abandoned so that you never would be abandoned. Let's pray. Jesus, I, th I thank you so much that you understand what it's like 
to go through dark, dark, dark days. And so I pray for those in here who are really, really struggling. I pray, Lord, that they would connect with other people, that they would be honest with themselves, with others, and with God, and that they would really wrestle, that they wouldn't turn to quick fixes, they would not numb their pain, but rather in their pain, run to you, Jesus. And Lord, we know it's hard. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is dark. And so, Lord, we just...